Welcome to Fresno's Best Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today we have Dr. Hronghui Lu on the show. Hailed as a phenomenal and expressive oboist, Taiwanese-American Dr. Ronghui Lu is one of Southern California's most active oboists. She holds principal positions in the Long Beach Symphony, Los Angeles Ballet Orchestra, Reno Chamber Orchestra, Fresno Philharmonic, and the Riverside Philharmonic. Dr. Liu has played all over the world and has worked as a studio musician in Hollywood. She holds Bachelor and Master of Music degrees from the Manhattan School of Music and a Doctor of Musical Arts degree from the Thornton School of Music at University of Southern California. If you listen to this podcast with any regularity, you know how much I love classical music. So this conversation was as fun for me to produce as it will be for you as a listener. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Ronghui Liu. To the best little city left in the U.S. Fresno's best. Fresno's best. So, uh, Ronghui, where do you like to eat in Fresno when you're here? Well, my favorite place is called Asiana Food and let's see, what's the name again? Asiana Korean Food and Restaurant. Do you know that place? I don't. Where is that? It's very small. It's between Blackstone and Herndon and right behind the uh, Motel 6. Um, It's actually a grocery store with a little mom and pop type of place right right inside of the grocery store um and usually i don't get chance to eat much of the korean food at home so whenever i go up there i try to get there twice a week every time when i go up there (laughs) Ah. so it's just something that i enjoy very much in that restaurant yeah, so it's it's interesting. Sometimes I feel like people are turned off by places that are located within a store. Yes. But I honestly feel like that's where you get the most authentic food because I think for some people, in order to open restaurants, they have to have another source of income. And so maybe that's a grocery store. Yeah. Um, but in terms of uh, my favorite taquerias, some of them are located in convenience stores or little grocery stores and I get the best tacos. So That's what right. what do you what do you like to order when you're there? Well, you because I'm just by myself and they usually give me so much food, I can't possibly <laughs> finish all of it. Yes. So I try to go for as many vegetables as I can. So of course the traditional um Korean bibimbap. I don't know uh, if you okay. know Korean food much. It's, I'm not Korean, I'm Chinese, but I love Korean food. <laughs> yes. So, um, uh, bibimbap is all sorts of vegetable together or makes almost like a salad with a little okay. bit of rice and a little bit of the meat on the side. If you don't want meat, they'll do it without meat. Um, and the other dish I like to order is usually called, it's called beef and leek soup so it's in this very red spicy looking soup with threads of beef and with lots of leeks inside the Uh the vegetable leek Um, i enjoy that dish very much and in fact it was a korean friend of mine who we played together in fresno and 
we went out to eat together, I took her to that restaurant, and she said she would like to order that because she always feel. If she feel like there's a cold coming up, she will order that just to get herself feel good and comfy in her tummy.、Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's that's. It's always helpful to have someone with you that knows what to order because there's things that sit in the corner of the menu. Yes.、Um, sometimes <laughs> at restaurants that you just don't order because you don't know. Right.、Um, and it's always good to have a guide. Right. Definitely. And especially sometimes. It's only in Korean words. Yes, that's very in... helpful. It's very helpful. <laughs> yeah,、Absolutely. especially the one in LA. Even the waiters doesn't speak English, <laughs> so I have no way of communicating with them because I don't speak a word of it. <laughs> oh my gosh! So、um, I'm excited to talk to you about、um, music, obviously,、mm-hmm. and I wanted to talk a little bit about music education first. Mm-hmm. And your experience learning music in Taiwan,、mm-hmm. um, and I know that each country, you know, countries have different approaches to how they teach music.、Um, schools have different approaches, but、um, and I, I know that asking you about Taiwanese approaches to music education is a very broad question,、um, but I also think there's probably some insights there. So how how I mean. Obviously, you didn't have both experiences at the same time, but you went, you did music education in the United States for university and graduate work.、Mm-hmm. What are some of the differences that you noticed in terms of the styles of how they、uh, teach music in 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 the two respective countries? Well, I think one thing that's very important is a lot of music education should start as early as when the student is able to count. One, two, three,、um, right. because that starts with the rhythm, and then if they also know a little bit of A B C D E F G, just all the way to G, they would be able to see all the notes on the piece of music. So, what I notice that's through for the K through twelve education in Taiwan. Um, so there's two systems in Taiwan. One is just a, a music ed for everybody. Everybody has to take classes. They teach you what music is about. They teach you how to sing. They teach you how to play the instrument. But in this specifically classically trained program, it's much more vigorously. They would audition. You have to actually audition in, and there's several stages. First grade. Third grade, and middle school for for Taiwan middle school is sixth grade, and then tenth、uh, grade in high school. So between first、uh, between first grade、uh, before first grade, they would test your piano skill, test your singing. So even before you have to have the education, they already trying to see if you have the potential. To be able to play music and be able to understand, and then by third grade they test you again to make sure that you can do all of those. Because starting from first grade to third grade, everybody measures in piano, everybody has to compete in piano. But on top of that, we have choir, we have、um, singing class all the time. And starting from third grade. Everybody would have to pick up a secondary instrument once you once you get into that program, and and that's when I pick up the oboe to play.、Um, 
So starting from that point on, you have orchestra, you have to be in the choir, you have to play piano, then your own, the other instrument that you pick up to play. And then in other times, every uh, two times a week, we have um, music theory, and then another class, music uh, dictation and sight singing. And I think these are all the very fundamental stuff that is missing in the America education because when I teach high school students or middle school students here, they are only in the band and the band program can only give them that much. They didn't have a different teacher come and teach them how to do music theory, teaching them about the history behind certain piece that they are studying or even do weekly training on their dictation and 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 sizing and, and they also also only allow you to be in the band or the choir not both we were required to do both and i think all of this singing and training in in fundamentals really helped me to become a better musician and the piano skill was so important i have also noticed that among all my students these days, if someone's able to play piano, they learn so much faster, even just a little bit of piano skill. So these are the things that I wish that they would put in, in the K through 12 education, because that makes a huge difference. So you, you think that maybe Americans have too much choice uh, when it comes to, and then also Maybe, you know, I'm imagining because I was in band in high school right. and there was, you know, w there was one teacher and then a right. room full of different instruments. Right. Um, and if you wanted to do well, I mean, you had to take classes with someone who was specialized, obviously, because, you know, if you're just in a band room, you know, you, uh, <laughs> you know, the teacher helps you, but it's, it's only so far and it, it's not in a capacity that can really help you to grow. Uh, right. that much without private lessons. So do you think right. it's the choice and then the lack of support that needs to change? I think it's lack of the support of how to understand um, these classes. Because it, when you pick up the piano to play, when you pick up the secondary instrument to play, you have an assigned teacher that speci who specializes in this. You have your orchestra teacher, you have your choir teacher, and your music theory and your dictation teacher are also different. So you have many different teachers come specialize in these fields to teach you, mm. starting from that okay. young. While when you were in high school, you only have one teacher teaching you on everything, and they can't possibly teach you on everything. So you kind of get one side of the education rather than all-rounded education. Yeah, I like that idea of of having piano being the baseline, um, and yeah. it sounds like it sounds like it was pretty rigorous too. So it sounds like if you, um, you know, you have to jump through hoops in order to continue. Is that kind of what you were describing? Yeah. So first grade, third grade, sixth grade, and it's by the time you get to sixth grade, um, you actually take exams that is for the whole entire Taiwan. So you're competing with all the music students in, in the whole entire country. And same thing as high school, because from that point on, you can choose which school you would like to go to. And they will pick uh, you based on your grade. If you uh, have a bad grade, they don't give you 
the highest, the best school. What What about, I mean, if you're a student that maybe is a late bloomer, if you uh-huh. know what I mean, Yeah. Um, is there room in the Taiwanese music education system for someone that is a late bloomer that you know, maybe, maybe didn't do well on some of those early kind of, uh, gateway tests. Mm -hmm. Um, can they come in later? Is it kind of a pathway that you have to start at the beginning and then make your way through? You can always come in halfway as long as you're good. I have, for example, there's this famous, famous Taiwanese, uh, woman uh, conductor. Her name is Mayan Chen. She was in high school with me in um, uh, United States, but she had never gone to any of this system. But now she's a world famous conductor now. So it, it, it tells you that, you know, in that system, um, in my high school, I do have lots of classmates. They were not from the, the same system that I grew up with, but they were able to have the uh, ability to exam in audition in to the class so it's all based on how well you do on your exam got it yeah well let's let's focus on your specific instrument the oboe um i feel like everyone knows has a sense of an oboe i feel like people get oboes and clarinets confused though um and i they're obviously different instruments um but can you talk a little bit uh, about the history of the oboe i I sent you a question beforehand mm-hmm. in doing some investigation, which wasn't entirely uh, <laughs> uh, an accurate question, but I, I am curious there. It seems like oboes have developed and changed over time. Um, yes. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the history of oboes and where it started to where it is now? Yes. Um, the, the oboe itself started from a long, long, long time ago, even um, I think, I believe, seven to eight uh, century BC. Um, you can find instruments in Egypt, in, you can find instruments in India, and even in China that represent oboe. But basically, you have this piece of reed that is bind together, two, two pieces of wood tied together with a thread, put it on a piece of wood that flares out slightly less than the clarinet. And so it's very dense and very tight. Um, and in, in Europe, the oboe itself was not used in the orchestra until 1650. And so starting from that point on, they start having to refine the oboe a little bit more and more because in the, in, at that time, you didn't have the other woodwind instrument to help you to make the sound. So in some ways, you can sound way too loud compared to all these soft strings that they have in the Baroque period. So they start to refine the oboe itself more and more. And by 18, uh, by 1908, that's when they started to create these key systems. Um, well, actually, before that, they already have the key systems with they, they just start adding more metal keys on top of it to to make the fingering a little bit easier to play. But if you think about oboe, it's almost like you're playing a recorder because the fingering are exactly the same, almost exactly the same. Mm. It's like you're playing recorder with a little piece of reed in your mouth. Um, so the conservatory or uh, the conservatory system was not invented until early 20th century. So in some way, the oboe itself is still a pretty young instrument. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so they they start experiencing all kinds of um, tuning um, adjustment just to make it work better for the players. Um, and because of the wood is so easy to crack on oboe that they have started experimenting, experimenting on synthetic material for several mm-hmm. years now, um, at least a decade. Um, so that has started to become more and more popular. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they are actually all very good instruments. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell the difference when you're playing with different, uh, different types of wood? I was reading about, um, I don't know if it was uh, some wood that was taken from Hawaii to use to yes. make an oboe. And yes. so when, when you're playing, can, uh-huh. can you get a, a tone difference? Can you feel the tone difference with wood? Or, or is that more due to the reed where you get uh, tonal differences? To me, I don't know about other oboes, but to me, I can tell the difference from different piece of wood to um, even synthetic material. There's a certain feel to the wood that, that, we, that we use, grenadier that we use, it's just so much denser. So when I play, I feel like there's something I can focus on and zoom into it with my tone quality, my sound. And in other material, if it's softer, it just seems the sound doesn't focus as much as I want it to, even if I use the same piece of reed. Hmm. So that's the difference I find. Yeah. And so is there, is there kind of a conservative tradition that wants to, doesn't want to go the synthetic route because you feel like you're just, you're, you're creating a new instrument in some ways? <laughs> uh, there might be people like that, but um, I think there's so many oboes are happy with synthetic material where it doesn't crack because the oboe, every single instrument, every single oboe I have in the United States all cracked within a year of playing. And they crack in half and then you have to glue them together. Um, The repairman have to put a pin, metal pin inside to hold the wood together. And because of that, it's like, you feel like your baby just, you know, got crushed in half and you doubt, you you wonder if the sound is ever the same again. Yeah. And I I don't feel like I hear other instruments having the same issue where you have that frequency. So, you know, I mean, because, you know, I remember you know, uh, reading some Joshua Bell article about him playing on some million, million, million dollar violin. And I can't imagine that there's oboes that are worth that much because if you're just, if they get broken that often or like what, what actually causes the crack? What, what, what leads to it? The tongue hole itself is really close to each other. And the board of the oboe is extremely thick compared to other instruments. And therefore, if you have any hot, warm air, moist air that blows in while you're in a cold climax, then the wood stressed out too much and it cracks mm. from outside. I see. So and the heat, because I mean, it's wood, it expands, yeah, right? Exactly. And so that makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, it seems, yeah. I, it's a fussy. I didn't, I didn't realize that was, it was, that, was that, that common and that frequent. Um, yeah. And one thing I noticed with the young, younger students, too, is they don't realize how often, how easy their instrument goes out of adjustment on oboe. 
Mm. Um, because I play in many different places, but they are all over places. Reno, Fresno, San Diego, Los Angeles, Riverside. So you're traveling from city to city. And what I notice is every week when I travel to, the, to a different place, my instruments start to, the wood start changing. And because it start changing, the pad, uh, the, the pad um, adjustment is starting to change as well because the wood is mm-hmm. expanding. And because of that, I start to have note problems. And so I eventually had to learn how to adjust my oboe myself because there were too many times that I get to a rehearsal place by Wednesday and by Friday rehearsal, my instrument kind of stopped working. And I go, oh, what's I wrong with my instrument? I have concert on Saturday and Sunday. I can't play it. Um, wow. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very fussy instrument. And so that's one of the first thing I teach my students to, especially the college students, is you must learn how to figure out what's wrong with your oboe. Wow. Well, that, yeah, that sounds like, uh, I mean, every, every instrument has some degree of maintenance, but that's by far the most I've heard out of any <laughs> instrument. Yeah. Um, so the next section I have is uh, my favorite section, which is called overrated versus underrated. So okay. we will start with an easy one. Okay. Uh, so uh, Mozart's oboe concerto in C major, overrated or underrated? It's proper rated. Properly to me, why? Yeah, to me, it's like one of the hardest concerto. You have to learn how to play like Mozart. <laughs> it's just, it's so hard. Can you talk, a, talk about the technical parts of it and why, what makes it so hard? I think it's the combination of the tonguing, the skill, the, the, the coordination of the fingers. Then on top of that, you have to get the style correctly and the speed correctly. For some reason, that concerto is very hard to sound good when, when you don't play it right. Um, before, um, so in the, in, the, in the United States, when we do auditions, we usually start with Mozartable concerto, then you have a bunch of excerpts. Mm-hmm. But in the past, in Europe, the only piece they required you to play was the oboe, oboe concerto. They don't ask you for any excerpt, but they want to put, see how well you can play oboe concerto in order to get the job. And so that was this the, is the litmus test. This is the yeah. litmus test for oboe. Got exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it's beautiful music, and of course, you know, it's I I just got done reading this big biography of Mozart, and uh-huh. just I've been I've got Mozart on the brain these days, and uh-huh. um, you know, you you can listen to him, right, and just kind of feel so comfortable and relaxed, but then remember in your head, the people playing the music are probably very stressed out. <laughs> it's a weird feeling to know that your relaxation is someone else's stress. Right. Um, all right, here's the next one. Uh, okay. Next one is a person, uh, Marcel Tabuteau, overrated um, or underrated? Properly rated. Properly rated, why? Yes, because he has such a, he's the father of American oboe playing. And, and without his wisdom that he got from his teacher, Gillette, there's just so many things that he gave us. That, yeah, can you that, talk about his system? He, he has a system, correct? Right. The system he, he created is a phrasing system. 
which my teacher Joe Robinson, my former teacher Joe Robinson from New York Phil had talked about often to me, was he put numbers on the nodes. And these number, each number represent the dynamic. Um, so one starting from softest to five to the loudest. And you need to be able to put these numbers on a phrase to create the climax of phrasing. Mm -hmm. um, so this is just an idea. You, you transform notes in the velocity of the air into numbers. And when you think of it that way, all of a sudden, students seem to be able to execute better for some reason. If you just tell them to play louder, play softer, do a crescendo, they don't seem to have a plan of how much air I'm going to ex exhale to get to that certain point. But once you start putting one, two, three, four, five on the notes, they all of a sudden start working. Interesting. So those yeah. numbers are easy for them to conceptualize than like the descript because like in music they have the description of the volume or the or the intensity that you should play the numbers that's exactly. interesting that that seems a little more I don't want to say anemic but it seems like having a number versus a description but maybe mm -hmm. that's just as more of a listener versus a player uh -huh. um, and so so basically you see a number above a note and that mm -hmm. tells you the degree of intensity that you should mm -hmm. and and then you have to know what those different numbers mean yeah. So, okay. so a lot of practice, I'll tell my students, play a dynamic of one on this okay. note, then play another dynamic of five on the very same note. Okay, now I hear the difference. I'm going to start calling out number and you have to give me numbers that's in between to show me if you can always go back to the same one. So once they start practicing this, they start to know how much air they can blow against the note to create a certain volume. I and see. that helps them to put the dynamic in. But Marcel Tepito was also the one who created the reed American scrape, oboe reed. So we scrape the reed differently than European style, and it creates a different sound. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'll need to listen for that. Um, next one is a food item. Okay. Uh, beef noodle soup, overrated or underrated? <laughs> I think underrated because I think Under it's really good. <laughs> You're yeah, talking well, about think... Chinese, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's probably underrated here in America because people don't know it. Can you describe the dish and why it's so good? They marinated the, the, the uh, they, they stew the beef slowly, probably overnight or in a quick pot uh, with all different kinds of spice, the Chinese spice. And it, it, ha it has done it in such a way that it's not too salty, but it's very flavorful, flavorful in your mouth. In fact, there's actually a restaurant um, in Fresno that I used to go to. On, okay. Only sells the the beef noodle soup. Um, it's really <laughs> <laughs> now I'm excited. Yeah, tell me more. And it's, the thing is, last time when I was there, I couldn't find it, so I was really disappointed. But I know it's really, really close to um, uh, Fresno State. All right. Well, I'm going to yeah. do some investigation, and I yeah. will I will figure it out before I air this, so I can I can tell people. Okay. Uh, so, all right, next one. We're back to we're back to music. Uh, okay. 
the three months, uh, the three romances for oboe by Schumann. It's properly rated. I believe you mean people think it's one of these hardest music yeah. to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why? Because when Schumann, Schumann is so great with his melody and his song, the melody itself is so beautiful and long. For oboists to play it that way, it, it takes a lot of strength. So it's actually a very hard piece to play. In fact, that's usually the third choice in the audition as well. So they will mm. ask for Mozart, they will ask for Strauss, then Schumann. <laughs> yes, and I'm not gonna ask about Strauss. That's the one I'm <laughs> skipping. Um, all right, so next one, uh, Heinz Holliger. Oh, I love Overrated him. Under. <laughs> I love Hans Holliger. I mean, I listened to him ever since I was a kid. And back then in Taiwan, there wasn't that many CD store available. Every time when I go to the store, I'm looking for Hans Holliger on every single possible section just to find him. He's just, he has this such a amazing technique. And considering that he started as a composer and, and, and to be able to just pick up the oboe and play amazingly like that. I, I love his playing. Yes, it's very beautiful. And I, so I'm getting my kind of chronology here, right? Mm -hmm. Tabuteau and Holliger, they're, are they contemporaries or, or Holliger's a little after, correct? I think Holliger is a little bit after because Holliger is still alive right now. And he's oh, in his right. 90s. And in fact, he's amazing. He just did a recital like a few months ago in his wow. 90s. Wow. I was just like, <laughs> your mouth is not falling off yet at this age. Yeah. That's, to keep, that's impressive. Yeah. To, to, and I, I have read these articles where they, where they wonder about these uh, composers and conductors that have such long careers, um, well into their old old age, mm -hmm. um, and they and you know the reason for that is unclear. And it seems like, in terms of quality, the quality doesn't necessarily drop off as you age. That they mm -hmm. can continue to pr be very productive uh, mm -hmm. way into their uh, way into their years. What do you what do you think the what do you think the reason is for that? Well. To me, I feel like it's how much you keep yourself in shape and to try to modify what your body needs. Because during the pandemic, I didn't have the performance per se. So the kind of endurance I have is definitely much less. And so it does take, so you start to lose the muscle a little bit. Um, and so I have to scrape my re a little bit different just to compensate that. And I do have to try really hard to practice every day in order to keep up, just in case if I have a last minute call come in and I can't <laughs> blow on my horn, right? right. Um, yeah, so it's, I think it's it just a matter of how he put his setup to be. And if someone doesn't do it every day constantly, they'll lose it very easy. For me, if I don't play it for two days, uh, it's gone. I have to rebuild again. It's yeah. that easy, yeah. All right, we've got another uh, piece. Um, so I asked first about classical, and then we mm -hmm. did a romantic piece, and now uh, we're doing atonal. So Schoenberg's Wind Quintet, overrated <laughs> or underrated? Schoenberg Wind Quintet. Well, 
let's put it this way. I think his idea behind it is interesting. I'm a someone who is not too crazy about atonal music, maybe because I play an instrument that is atonal music. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that can create such a beautiful melody. So every time when I play atonal music, I feel like my brain has to start to do a lot of calculation. <laughs> um, and also, I believe Schoenberg, when he writes these pieces, even though it's atonal, there should be a certain pitch center to it. But a lot of time, because it's so hard for our ear to hear certain intervals, people stop paying attention to those. And the piece actually sounded a lot more scratchier than it should be. So that's just my personal opinion. And so I do think th those pieces are quite hard to play and quite yeah. hard to understand. Um, but if it can play well, it, it can be received well. Um, okay. So given, given that you've done work uh, with film and scoring and music um john williams film scores overrated or underrated properly rated okay I, it it has such a distinct sound every time you hear it you know it's john william mm -hmm. that's just how special it is and i i love playing under him i remember when i did the star trek uh, star Wars. sorry not star trek star war <laughs> um he has such a hearing. I mean, he's pretty old, but he can hear little things that the musician are just trying so hard to try to blend. And he, he would say, no, you have to be bold. Give me this feeling of you know, majestic and marching. And, and people are just like, but we're trying to blend. We're trying to blend. <laughs> and, but when you try to blend too much, it, it, it doesn't get there. But I, I, I love what he had behind his music. He hears it in his head. Yeah. So I, I, I raise that because I've heard some different perspectives on his music, like mm -hmm. critiques that it's a little derivative of other, of mm -hmm. other classical music and it's uh -huh. kind of recycled. How would uh -huh. you respond to those critics that say things like that? Yeah, I suppose you can say it that way because sometimes when you listen to this classical one of the piece by Elgar, you go, wait, I think I heard it in that movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, I don't know, because he actually makes it more memorable compared to the classical composer. So you have to ask, why is that? It's the same melody. Why can he make it much more memorable than the guy who may have written it, I don't know, 50, 100 years ago. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is, that is a, the, probably the best response. Um, <laughs> right. And I, yeah. I, I think I, it's, it's tricky because we're all, we all have influences yes. and obviously those influences, you know, show up in our music. Um, and then secondarily composing for concerts versus a film score those are two very different activities. And I feel like when I hear people critiquing him from the classical world, it feels kind of like they're critiquing him on terms that he's not necessarily trying to operate in versus uh -huh. he's, he's trying to operate in a film world where right. the objective is to make music that carries the film, not, you know, and you'll just use whatever tools you have. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, all right. Uh, two more. Um, okay. 
Classical crossover music, overrated or underrated? I want to say properly rated. The reason is because they help us to create new genre in some ways, new audience creates interest among different audience, and we desperately need that. We can't just always stuck in the same old mode all the time. So. Yeah. Yeah, it, it feels like I, I like some of it and I, some of, it, some of it feels, I don't want to say like just too electronic. I don't mm -hmm. know if that's what I'm trying to say, but mm -hmm. I, I, I like the idea in theory, whether it works out in practice and I actually listen to an album more than once mm -hmm. um, within some of these genres is, a, is one question. Uh, but I think ultimately, you know, I, and I've talked about this uh, with Ray. Um, as well as other people is like, how, you know, what, what's the future of classical music? Like how, what are things that we can do uh, to ensure its vitality? And obviously, you know, things change because that's just what things do. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, what, what uh, we're kind of branching out from the section, but that's okay. um, what, what do you, what do you feel like maybe needs to change in classical music to ensure its livelihood for uh, the future? I feel it's about diversity and it's about inclusive because we need to have open-minded. We can't just say we want to play something that is from 200 years ago or 100 years ago. Um, if we can combine all of this to introduce different kind of music in one concert, I think that's, that, would say, uh, that speaks loud volume compared to always program just Mozart, Rossini, Beethoven, you know? Mm -hmm. And you can even ask musicians, how many times have you played Beethoven five, <laughs> right? You know, by the time they play the 10th time, they probably will go, da, 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 dee, da, 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 da. You know, there's no passion in it anymore. <laughs> yes. So, so a little bit of different material in one concert actually give some excitement. Um, when Ray become our music director, she always programmed one new composer in each concert. And I remember every time I would study that piece with the recordings and trying to play the notes, even though I don't have to play too fancy on my fingers, not like the Mozart or Beethoven, but I get excited with the concept, how it sounded like because what they are thinking is different than the composer from back then. They want to give audience a different kind of listening experience. It's not just harmony. You sit proper and listen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, and I, 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 I feel like I've seen interesting innovations. I'm a big opera fan, and I've yeah. seen interesting innovations in the opera world and seen yes. some like really like out-of-the-box fascinating approaches to the opera and you know i i feel like i'm hearing it in classical music too i feel like classical music it's just it 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 has these you know there i feel like it's just it's tied to something and it's constantly pulling but it's but it's it's getting you know like a magnet you know moving back and forth and i you know i obviously we want to cherish and value the heritage of classical music and some of the most beautiful music ever written but 
you know, if we don't, if we don't value people that are making music right now, then we won't, then 200 years from now, they won't have a Mozart from today. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so the last full concert I did um, was just an oboe recital that I did myself. And I decided to choose a program that is as diverse as possible and pieces that not that many people have played. And this is for oboe and piano. So in my program, I have African-American composer. I have a woman composer, Taiwanese woman composer, which took me forever to, to find a piece and actually work on it. It was quite challenging. Um, so it, it, an American uh, woman composer. Um, so I was just trying to figure out what I can do to include as many elements, as many interesting materials as possible in the okay. concert. Yeah. All right. Two more on the overrated, underrated section. Uh, the next one is a city that is often maligned in the LA area, Riverside. Overrated or underrated? <laughs> I think it's a River little under, underrated. You know, because... Really? All right. Make your case. <laughs> Please do. Because you, you know I live in Riverside. I know. I know. <laughs> It's located in a place where you can go up to the mountain easily. You can go to the ocean easily, okay? Your traffic, yeah, some, some spot is bad, but not as bad as in LA, okay? Mm -hmm. um, we do have a few things, a um, few food, you know, very unique places that you can enjoy. Um, but you have to kind of ask the local because you just you, you you won't be able to find them. Just simply type it online. Like, yeah, let's 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 just pause real quick. <laughs> so that's my biggest challenge in Riverside. Is where do I eat? So what are, what are good places in Riverside? Because I I have I have a brother in law that lives there. And we go to visit sometimes, and ah. it's, I don't want to say it's 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 hard <laughs> to find places to eat, but it's not easy. Okay, so uh, on the west of uh, Riverside. I like this place called Oasis Cafe. It's okay. attached to, again, attached to the nature food, La Sierra nature food grocery store. Mm -hmm. And it's vegetarian. Their food is amazingly good. I, I don't know how to explain it to you. Just everything is so just substantial and, and healthy. So that's one place I like to go. The next place around here, uh, near downtown, for me, there's a Japanese place called Pacific Cabin. I like that place. It's always very fresh, and it's a mom-and-pop type of store. Okay. I also like the Mexican food, Texas. It's a little stand just on the side of the road, T-U-X-I-E-S. It's amazing and it's really, really cheap. Okay. And across Perfect. from across from them, there's Indian food. It just says Indian food. <laughs> but <laughs> I like that's perfect Riverside. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but their food is the best Indian I've tasted so far around uh, here. Wow. Yeah. So they are All some. Right. <laughs> Got it. Well, okay. Last question on the overrated, underrated section. It is food again. Um, because yes. this is something that's growing in popularity in the United States, hot pot. Oh, 
What do you think? I think it's underrated. I love hot pot. <laughs> yeah. It, so make the case to someone that's never had hot pot why they should go for the first time. Okay. It depends on how adventurous you are. Now, hot pot experience is like you have, it, it's almost like you're having a fondue. You have your own sets of ingredients that you would like to have, but you're cooking it in front of by yourself. And then you yeah. decide how far you want to cook that food. Don't overcook it or undercook it. And, and the, ex the, the experience is the pot itself is round. So most of the time when you have hot pot, you're sitting in a round table. And that's the, our traditional food of family gathering. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's, it's not just the food itself, but it's the experience itself. And a lot of times, every time when I get together with my sister, that's usually what we have. We'll get all of that money together and have hot pot. Yes. I mean, I, <laughs> there's, a, there's a, a Korean barbecue place that operates in a similar way in Fresno that I've really enjoyed. I think it's out in the Clovis area. Um, Is it gin? What's it called? Uh, that's, I can't remember. I, 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 haven't, I haven't been there often because what happens when I go is I eat way too much and then yes. my wife complains about me complaining. So, you know, we, we don't, we don't go that often. Let me just say that. Okay. Uh, okay. So that, that's it for that section. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit. Let's go back to the oboe for a little bit. Um, and I sent you kind of a weird question, but I hope you can kind of get what I'm getting with the question. Um, so what do oboists understand about physics that the average person doesn't? And what I'm getting at with that is you are much more because of your working with this, you know, this object to produce sound in different ways, you are in touch with things that the average person isn't. So what would you say you know about physics around, around you that maybe we don't? Um, one thing I didn't notice that's very interesting is, you know, a lot of time people see oboe is getting so red on stage when they play because, you know, you've got all this pressure going on. But in fact, if you don't look at them, you hear the music, it's light, it's comfortable, and it comes out beautifully. So there's certain, it's all about, there's this part of your body has to sustain the air but at the same time, don't push the air out like you're punching someone. Um, and so you have to regulate your air with sustainability, but at the lightness at the same time, but still spin enough air that it would actually go through the instrument and create acoustic sound. And so that, I think that's the air speed, the velocity of it, how strong, how weak, how much you use and with the it's a, a little bit like both speed. So I think mm. that's something that most of the musician or people who doesn't know about oboe didn't know. They just see their face looking all red on stage. Because <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing gymnastics uh, with your mouth. And yes. I, I, I often wonder, like, you know, I mean, is part of the breath training just in playing the instrument? Or is there also breath training that you do uh, beyond just playing the instrument to prepare your lungs to handle that kind of workout. Yeah, a lot of oboes, if you notice, they, they are doing either marathon or swimming. And those exercises are really good for them because they really expand the lung and trying to exercise the muscles in the lung. Um, 
I do try to when I go up to Reno to play because it's in such a high altitude. For the first few days, my body will feel so weak. I feel like I can't play. I can't play. Finish a phrase. So、yeah. I actually figure out that if I try to walk a lot the first two days, I fix that problem immediately. Because when I'm walking, I'm huffing and puffing, but my lung is starting to get used to the environment so much faster. Then I can play a phrase, no problem that way. Yeah.、Um, I've got two last questions for you. Um, the first one, let's.、Uh, I think one thing that maybe they need to teach、um, in music programs is how to get、uh, good credit cards for hotel rooms,、um, <laughs> because as far as I understand it, being a classical musician today means that you just spend a lot of time traveling, and you've already mentioned all the different places you play at.、Um, can you talk a little bit about?、Uh, How we got to a place where people are needing to travel so much、uh, for the career of being a, a, a classical musician, and、uh, and talk a little bit about just the economics of、uh, you know what it looks like、uh, for you know a, a musician finishing their program and wanting to pursue a career in classical music. Right. So I think it's not only just in classical music, but just in general, in music when a student is trained. They either wants to be a music teacher, or they want to be a music performer. So, what I notice is, if someone wants to be a music education teacher, they seem to be able to get job much faster. You know, by the time they graduate, they already have offered.、Um, but a great player who is so good with their instrument has so much competition when they graduate. It's I think the funding to the orchestra is a problem, because there's not enough service in one orchestra for a musician to survive on. Therefore, they need to have several of them, because there's too few orchestra that actually has enough money, uh, uh, enough services, uh, enough salary for a musician to live on one job. Then there's、mm. very few orchestra that is like that. So.、Yeah. Because of that, a musician has to have several jobs in order to survive、yeah. if they want did, to. Did did orchestras play more often、uh, a long time ago? Was it like、yes. were there nightly concerts and that? So why what what happened? I mean, I, I I can't imagine that some of these concert halls are being used for other activities. <laughs> so so、uh, is it just that there's not the demand for as many concerts a week, or what what's the reasoning behind fewer? Fewer、uh, opportunities to play, right?、Um, what I notice is,、um, in the past, there are way more services, but when the ecom-、uh, economy crashed back in two, was it two thousand eight? Yeah, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. When that started, a lot of orchestra went under, and they cut services. Once they cut services, they don't come back. Huh? Not so easily, because If the musician can do the same amount of work, and the audience are still happy, and I can balance the balance sheet, why do I want to add more? Because if I add more services, that means I have to rebalance my my budget.、Mm. Then I have to get more donors. Yeah. So it's all because how the economy, how the donation is to the orchestra, how things are 
you know, falling down for, for, for the management. So they are forced to have to negotiate with the musician. Then the musician's service get cut. Then they ended up sitting at home going, well, okay, I have to find another job. Yeah. And then it makes a, a, a bottleneck for musicians, right? Because then you yes. end up taking spots at all these different places, yes. which means if you're an oboist in California, mm-hmm. you know, they just are like, her again, you know, and I can imagine <laughs> that it's just, it's just, it's making it that much harder and that much more competitive. Yeah. But you know, the, the thing is, is if you are doing your job well, people would love to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true. Um, it yeah. is a, it is a world that's fair. It's based on, you know, how you perform. Right. Um, so let's, let's close with book recommendations. Uh, these can okay. be anything, anything you want. Uh, obviously I would love to get any kind of music book recommendations, uh, from you, but, uh, what are a few books that you'd recommend? Okay. So, um, if you want to know more about oboe, this is a great book. Whoops. Let me turn off. Ah, look who it is. Yes. The, yes. So, they, so we're only audio, so they can't see this, but it is Marcel Tabuteau. Is, and yes. is this uh, his book or a book about him? This is a book about him. Okay. There you go. Okay. It's so it's Marcel, Marcel Tabuteau, um, written by his, fr- uh, his student, Lila Storch. Okay. Yeah. And Lila Got Storch it. actually recently just had her birthday a few months ago. And so it was like big celebration on Facebook. Everybody was saying, <laughs> great book. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this book a lot. It talks about how Tabuteau's life is his biology, uh, bi- uh, biograph- biography. Um, the next book I really enjoy is this one. Okay. Casals and the Art of Interpretation. Okay. So it talks about how you express your feeling in a piece of music uh, how you can take a, a a sentence to create into something else and and so it's it's quite technical but it, it's a very interesting book to read i think I, it, it's i think it's important for even non-cellist to know this know this book yeah interesting and um, in, in fact, because earlier we were talking about Marcel Tepito's method of the, the air, um, there's this comp- uh, bassoonist, David McGill. Okay. He wrote a book on that method called Sound Emotion to describe how you execute that, Interesting. that method that he has. So a, a bassoonist wrote a book on oboist method. Yeah. <laughs> how, yeah. do, how do oboists view bassoonists? Are you guys competing for a similar space? Because I feel like the bassoon is in its mm-hmm. own corner. Like <laughs> it's, it's kind of the weird instrument in some ways. It, but, it's, it, but it's used in specific ways for specific feelings, right? Yeah. So is, 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 is bassoon considered more of like a, like a specialist tool for like or are bassoons part of uh, lots of orchestras? Yes. In fact, I, I think it's actually a really cool instrument to play, bassoon, because if you think about it among all the low-pitch instruments, that is one instrument that can play just millions of notes and sound great and can still be heard. 
unlike the other you know brass instrument let's say if it's trombone your your hand yeah. has to go really fast in order to put, compete with the bassoon yeah. right right so right. even though we're double read but we 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 love working with each other when when um when i do the fusa i don't know if you heard, heard about fusa fusa is a music camp in fresno okay. uh, it's called fresno orchestra and opera summer academy fusa and this is two weeks long at Fresno State. Uh, we had to cancel the last year, but every yeah. single year we, it was creating such a huge orchestra. We would travel to Disney World, uh, Disney World, Disney Hall in LA to perform and go back to Fresno to perform again, to finish the whole entire two weeks of the work. And so every single day, the student will have their own time with the instructor. So the bassoon teacher will be not too far from me, and then, and we will gather together just to do read making, how to sharpen your knife and stuff like that. So just to show bassoonists, this is what oboes do. You know, if you need help, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> Got it. So it's an alliance yes. between the oboes and the bassoons. Yes. Well, um, to close, where can people find out about uh, what you're up to, uh, your website, and what's uh, what's the next performance you have coming up? Well, the next one I have is actually in Fresno. Then after the, that, I will go to Reno. Oh, and actually in between that, I will go to, um, uh, I have Riverside Field. <laughs> okay, got yeah. it. So just and three orchestras. <laughs> yeah, busy, busy. And what's, what's your website for everyone uh, who wants to find your music and more about you? R-O-N-G-H-U-E-Y-L-I-U dot com. Just basically right. my name, wrong way. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you for talking to me. This has been a lot of fun. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening, folks. As always, you can support this podcast by either leaving us a rating and review or by making a financial contribution at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash Fresno's Best. We'll see you next time.